0: But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew six and the verse thirty three. And there in Matthew chapter six the Saviour is still preaching. The Sermon on the Mount is still ongoing and the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is speaking specifically to his disciples. And he is instructing those disciples in these verses that they should not be consumed by the pursuit of earthly needs, the things that are necessary for their survival, neither should they be consumed by leisure activities or the pleasures of this world. Rather, their highest priority and their greatest effort must be expended for the kingdom of God. They are to seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that when they do this, all of those things that they need, God will provide. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Essentially, then, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his followers and he's teaching them that they must have their priorities right. They must get their priorities right. And this evening we look at Psalm 39 and specifically we look at the verses 5 through 7. And these verses will lead us to the very same conclusion that the child of God must have his or her priorities right. In these verses 5 through 7, perspective is given for mankind. Man is given a correct view of himself. Man is shown the vanity of things, temporal things, material things. And then man is directed to look away from himself, to look away from his fellow men And to look towards the Lord, to hope in God. Mankind then is instructed to get his priorities right. And as we look at these verses 5 through 7 together this evening, what we see is home truths for mankind. That's what we want to notice together, just for a few moments, towards the close of our time today. Home truths for mankind. What home truths, what lessons do we see that we can apply to ourselves, to the entire human race? Firstly, we see this, the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Psalm 39 and the verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. And so the psalmist is speaking here and he is remarking, yes, indeed, on the brevity of life. The fact that life is brief. Our earthly journey is not long. We're not long here on the planet Earth. And the psalmist has employed a, a literary device here, a simile. He's using uh, this literary device to, to compare and contrast. He's using the image there of, of the handbreadth. What is a hand breadth? Well, it's four fingers. That's the measurement, four fingers, not a huge measurement by any means, a a small measurement. And so the psalmist is saying our lives are like a hand breadth, they're short. We're not here for very long. The time that we have on this earth is exceedingly short. We know that. We can see that. The years are slipping by, indeed they are, and and it seems for all of us, I'm sure, with every year that goes past, the next one seems to pass that little bit quicker. We cannot stop time, we cannot pause time, we can't slow down time, and maybe in our lives there are many occasions when we'd like to do that. Seasons of blessing. Seasons of encouragement. And, and, and we want those seasons to linger on. And we would, we would love to, to slow that time down. So that we could enjoy it all the more. But we can't. Time is marching on. Time cannot be stopped. Our lives are so brief. Often the cry of man is. Why is life so short? The psalmist elsewhere over in psalm 102 again paints a picture of the brevity of of the life of mankind psalm 102 and the verse 11 the psalmist says my days are like a shadow that declineth and i am i am withered like grass what pictures we have there the shadow declines ever so quickly that's like our days and the grass will wither away. That's, that's our, our lives. We're, we're here for such a short time. The little epistle of, of James highlights for us that our lives are as a vapor that pass away so quickly and you go out on a cold evening and, and you breathe out of your mouth and you see the vapors there for a second or two and then it's gone a description, and an illustration of our our lives, the time we will spend on this earth. It passes so quickly and and it's a sobering truth, but it's a truth we all need to face up to. Life is short. The psalmist says in in verse 5 of Psalm 39, mine age is as nothing before thee. The psalmist is acknowledging, of course, that God is eternal. He is without beginning and without end and Uh, And friends, we have a finite mind, and that is something that we struggle to grasp. Our minds are so used to the the concept of time. Eternity is something that we struggle to try and take in. Uh, And yet the Word of God speaks of eternity. The Word of God tells us that God is eternal. We accept that. We believe it with all of our hearts. And in the light of eternity, and in comparison with the one who is eternal, that's the Lord The psalmist says our lives are so insignificant. We could say that our our lives are an insignificant dot on a page. Not even that. C.H. Spurgeon, the great London preacher, he says, Before the eternal one, all the age of frail man is less than one ticking of a clock. You think about the ticking of a clock. And in light of eternity our lives don't even amount to that tick life is short the statement we so often hear directed particularly towards young people is sure you have all the time in the world you've all the time in the world sometimes that statement of course will accompany a piece of advice and maybe it's good advice maybe counsel is being given to a young person And the council is essentially not in to rush in to to make a rash decision about something. Not to make a foolish decision about the future or about a career perhaps. Maybe the desire is to comfort a young person who's not at that place in their lives that they had always planned to be. And the statement is made, sure you've all the time in the world. And the statement is made from a good heart. And maybe the advice that accompanies the statement is sound advice and wise advice. And it comes, as I say, from, from a loving heart. But the statement itself is disingenuous. You have all the time in the world. No, you don't. Life is short. To be honest, I'm not even really sure what that statement means. You have all the time in the world. And the Bible is clear. We have a very short time on this earth. Friend, you might live to a ripe old age, but you might not. And even if you do live to a ripe old age, what is that in comparison with eternity? It's nothing. Life is short. This is the truth. And it's an unpleasant truth for us to think about sometimes. But friend, it would be much more unpleasant if you went out into eternity unprepared. And so in love, we appeal to you. We we warn you, we implore you. Listen, life is short. You need to be ready for eternity. You need to be ready to die. You need to be saved. You need Christ. And if you're not saved, then you remember this this evening that your life is short, that your time on this earth is ticking away. And if you're not saved, you'll go out into a lost eternity. You need to come to Christ. You need the Savior. The brevity of life. We see something else here. Another home truth for mankind. The vanity of man. The vanity of man. Look again at Psalm 39. And look at the second half. The final clause of verse 5. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. The vanity of man. That word vanity carries the meaning or the sense of of emptiness. Something that is transitory. Something that is unsatisfactory. In fact that same word appears elsewhere in a very famous verse of scripture. If you turn a few pages over into Ecclesiastes in the opening chapter of Ecclesiastes. We we read here and the speaker is one who is identified as the preacher. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And the verse 2, we see this word vanity appears repeatedly. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And of course, this is pointing to those things that, that pass away so quickly. Those things that pass away completely. They're here and then they're gone. Those things that or maybe there for a short time, but when they're gone, they they leave no trace. They have had no major impact. They they have had no adequate result that they leave behind. They do not satisfy the mind of man. It's vanity. And the fact is, friend, that, that life is short, and this fallen and depraved world has nothing to offer us. This world is fickle. This world is fleeting. This world is empty and void of contentment and this world can offer us nothing that will truly satisfy us. It's vanity. In Psalm 39 in the verse 5, the psalmist says that, that man is altogether vanity. And so the sense is that life is so short and man accomplishes so little in the short course of his life. It's all vanity. Man is mortal. Man is changeable. Man is sinful. Man has a heart that is deceitful and uh, and desperately wicked. Again, this is all the truth. The vanity of man. You know, fallen man often thinks that he has much to be proud of. Fallen man in rebellion against God thinks quite a lot of himself. Well, the psalmist brings us right back down to earth. The scriptures are a good mirror. They show us our condition before the Lord. Friend, you're here this evening and you're not saved. This truth of the vanity of man, does that not highlight to you that you need Christ? You will not find satisfaction in yourself, friend. You will not find satisfaction in your fellow man. But you will find satisfaction in the God man. In the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give you satisfaction. He will give you eternal satisfaction. The brevity of life. The, the vanity of man. What else do we see here in Psalm 39 in these verses? We see the anxiety over the temporal. The anxiety over the temporal. Look at verse 6, and we look especially at the second half. Oh, verse 6, at this stage, surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather there. Men are disquieted in vain. What does that mean? It means they're taken up, they're, they're anxious, they're, they're exercised about those things that, that are not really important in life. And so they're, they're taken up by the things that are temporal. They're taken up by the material things. Their priority in life is those things that are fleeting and passing away. They're taken up by wealth and things. And the picture is here in verse 6. It's, it's an agricultural picture actually. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And this indicates the picture of, of the farmer if you like. And he has a crop in the field. And there are two stages to his gathering of the crop. And firstly he, he gathers it all into huge piles. And then after he has done that, it will be gathered in to the storehouses. And we see here that he heapeth up the riches. He's gathered into the piles. But he may pass away before it's even brought into the storehouse. He may be plunged out into eternity before the job is even complete. It's a solemn picture. Oh, he gathers it up. He's ready to bring it in. But before he can do that, he's launched out into eternity and another one comes and gathers in the crop. That's the reality. We've seen it happen. We've experienced that. We've seen it with our own eyes. Maybe people we know making plans so taken up with the temporal, but before those plans are brought to fruition, they're out into God's eternity. It's a solemn thing. You think about Christ's parable there of the foolish farmer or the foolish landowner, whichever you want to call it. He was going to pull down his storehouses to make larger. But he's out into eternity. Out into eternity before he could see it through. That night his soul was required of him. It's sobering. But this is the reality of the situation. And perhaps this is solemn, it brings a tear to her eyes. But, but it brings a tear to her eyes because we have seen this happen. People taken up with the temporal, making all the plans that they're going to do this. They're going to make money. They're going to advance themselves in terms of wealth in that way. And before they can do it, they're out into God's eternity. They were anxious over the temporal things, but not so much over the spiritual and eternal. And we see this anxiety over things in the world in which we live today. We see it all the time. Money, wealth is one of the biggest idols that this world knows. Wealth is is the biggest driving factor for many people. People think that that money or possessions or, or things are going to bring them happiness. They long to keep up with what other people have. They'll, they'll willingly jump into debt in order to get their hands on things that they don't actually really need. We see it all around us. I say to you, unsaved friend, your wealth will mean nothing in eternity. It's temporal. It's passing. Your material wealth will mean nothing in eternity. You know, friends, the reality is that this anxiety over temporal things, this this preoccupation over temporal and material things, it's something that often grips Christians as well. Especially in the Western world, we're well off, we're blessed, we're comfortable. And therefore many Christians are taken up by the temporal things of this world. There, there is a standard of living that they're accustomed to, to, to living in and they're not prepared to surrender that standard at any cost. They're not working to live but rather they're living to work. Now, am I saying this evening that you shouldn't work hard, that you shouldn't make provision for your children, that you shouldn't work hard so that whenever you leave this scene of time, there's a little for those who come behind you. No, I'm not saying that at all. Of course you should work hard. Of course you can indeed enjoy your work. There's nothing wrong with going the extra mile in the workplace. In fact that's something that we should do. We should have that good Christian testimony before the world. It's a poor testimony if a Christian in the workplace is lazy and unreliable. He starts late, he finishes early and really he can't be trusted with anything. That's a poor testimony. We ought to work hard and have those good and godly testimonies. But work and therefore the making of money should not be our idol. And it can very easily become the idol of the Christian. And the Christian can work all the hours of the week and take all the overtime that there is going, not because they need the money, but because they want the money. And there's a world of difference. And as they do that, as they're consumed by these things, what's the outworking? Well, they mess out with God. The Christian who works all the hours of the week but finds on the Lord's day that he's worked so hard he's too tired to come to the house of God. The Christian who takes all the overtime going and then he's too tired to come aside with God's people midweek and sit in the place of prayer for an hour. That's an idol. That's something that's getting in the way of your walk with the Lord, child of God. And I say this to you and I say it in love If you're too busy to spend an hour in the Lord's house, then child of God, you're too busy, full stop, and you need to sort it out. You need to deal with it. For your own benefit. For your own spiritual welfare. You think about what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke's Gospel in the chapter 10. We have the account here of of Mary and Martha, and of course you know what's happening here in Luke 10, that... Mary is seated at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's listening. She's learning from the Savior. Martha, on the other hand, she's being a good hostess. Nothing that she is doing is wrong. She's seeking to be hospitable. She's speaking, seeking to, to, to care for the Savior, to his temporal needs. Martha's not one but happy at Mary. Martha's doing all this work, and Mary's seated there at the feet of Christ. Martha reports Mary to the Savior. Luke 10 and the verse... 41, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And the Lord is rebuking Martha. The Lord is reminding Martha where her priorities ought to be. She ought to be seeking first the kingdom of God. She ought to be tending to her own spiritual welfare. She ought to be spending that time at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, child of God, if you're so taken up by other things, that they're getting in the way of your walk and your fellowship with the Lord, then that's a problem and you need to deal with it. Because the Savior rebukes it. Child of God, you work all the hours that come your way while all the wealth you gather up is not going to heaven with you. It's not. And maybe we all need to check our priorities in this life. We all know the words of C.T. Studd's little poem, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the refrain, if you like, but there are A little stanzas to that poem. Oh let my love and fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Living for the Lord. That's the priority in the life of the Christian or it ought to be. The final little stanza. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Many Christians can say that when they get to the end of life's journey, my lamp of life has burned out serving the Lord. I think there's a challenge there for every one of us. Christian, are we living for Christ? Are we living for his kingdom? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Or are we building our own kingdoms and our own empires taken up with material things and temporal things? What is it? Home truths for mankind, we see the brevity of life. Life is short. The vanity of man, the anxiety over the temporal. Finally, we see certainty in God. There's certainty in God. Now, not much of what we have considered already this evening is especially hopeful. A, A dark, a miserable picture has been painted of mankind. And should I say, an accurate picture has been painted of mankind. But now in opposition to all of these sad considerations concerning man, now there is certainty for the psalmist. Now there is hope for the psalmist. From the consideration of this vain world and of the fruitless efforts of man, now the psalmist turns his attention to the Lord. He looks away from himself. The psalmist looks away from mankind. And now he lifts his eyes to the Lord. And he says in verse 7. And now Lord what wait I for? My hope is in thee. You see David's not hoping in men. Men who are weak. Men who change. Men who decay. Men who will pass away. To hope in men would be a foolish thing. Rather David is hoping in the Lord. He's trusting in God. He's trusting in the creator. He's looking to the one who is sovereign over all things. He's looking to the one who is self-existent and the one who is eternal. The one who is without beginning and without end. He looks to God who changes not and is always faithful. David is not hoping in the things of this world. His confidence is not tied up with temporal things or material things. No, David's reliance, David's trust is upon the Lord. David sees that all around him, what he sees are those things that are vain and fruitless, fleeting and temporary, but then he lifts his eyes to God. And that's a different matter altogether. You see, unsaved friend with us this evening, we need to get our perspective right. We need to recognize uh, as men and women that our lives are short uh, and the legacy that we leave after us whenever we leave this place is rather insignificant. To be anxious over temporal things or to be anxious over material matters, that's foolish. To be living only for the here and now, that's hopeless, it's vanity. And I tell you this, friend, if you're living for the here and now and you've made no preparation for eternity, then that will mean a lost eternity. Man dies. Life is short. Man dies because man has fallen. The wages of sin is death. The Bible is clear on that. That's not only physical death, it's spiritual death. It's eternal death. We are sinners against a holy God. We deserve eternal condemnation for our sins. And that is what we will face if we go out into eternity unprepared. And so friend, living for the here and now, it's hopeless, it's foolish, it's vanity. But to hope in God, to hope in the Lord, to trust in God to be saved, well that changes things. That's a different matter altogether. The one who trusts in the Lord, the one who is saved, well, he's looking beyond the short life, looking beyond the here and now. The one who is saved, well, they are children of God. They know that their heavenly Father will bring about all of his great purposes. They'll be brought to fruition. They're looking to eternity and eternity in God's heaven. Now there is hope for that person. Now there is certainty. There is purpose in that person's life. There is assurance. There's confidence. There's meaning for that person. You see the difference? This life is short. Man is vain. They're so taken up with temporal things. But for the Christian one who is hoping in the Lord, there's meaning in that man's life. There's meaning. I'm simply asking you this evening, friend, are you hoping in God? David was. Are you? My hope is built on nothing less. Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand are you hoping in the Lord? are you trusting him? are you saved? you see our sin it means that we deserve condemnation but John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and the gospel that is revealed to us in the New Testament tells us very plainly that the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, came into this earth and lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law. And then he went to the cross of Calvary and he suffered there and he shed his blood and he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins, our substitute standing there in our room instead paying the price for our sins, he rose from the grave the third day and he says, come. Come unto me. And Christ says to you tonight, sinner, come. Come in faith. Come trusting in me to see of your soul. Come in repentance, turning away from your sin. Come calling out for God's forgiveness and the promise of Christ is, if you come, he will receive you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I implore you, unsaved friend, are you hearing this? If you come to him genuinely, sincerely, earnestly tonight, he will receive you. He will save your soul. But you must come. And the responsibility to come is yours and yours alone. You must come. This life that we're living is short. This world brings with it no lasting satisfaction. We know that. Vanity. But to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that gives a life meaning. How do I know that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that. And I close with this, John 10 and the verse 10, Christ says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see the contrast? Life is short, man is vain, temporal things, they're passing, they're fleeting, this world is fickle. But on the other hand, there is life and life more abundant. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you come to Christ? Will you taste? Will you see? Will you experience this abundant life that He promises to those who come to Him? I'm going to sing together as we close our time this evening. 230 in our hymn book. 230 life at best is very brief, like the falling of a leaf. Like the binding of a sheaf. Be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast. That the die will soon be cast. And the fatal line be passed. Be in time. 230 will stand.